This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. I'm Jenna Siri. I'm a bookseller and the associate producer of Poured Over, and I'm here today with Elosa Sunde, the author of the incredible novel Vagabonds, which came out in spring of 2022, but will soon be hitting the shelves in paperback. She's written short stories for literary publications like the Paris Review, but Vagabonds, which is dark, raw, gut-wrenching, and hopeful, and named one of the best books of 2022 by The New Yorker, is her incredible break into the world of novels. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much, Jenna. This is this is an exciting opportunity and I'm really glad to be here and to get into this conversation. So I think the listeners are going to find it very obvious very quickly that I love this novel and could talk about it all day. <laughs> but to save them that and to avoid spoilers, would you tell us a little bit about this book? Yes. Okay, so Vagabonds is a novel in stories about Lagos and its inhabitants. And the title is actually gotten from the Nigerian constitution. So I'm going to say that without like expanding too much into that. In the Nigerian constitution, a vagabond is defined as anyone who crosses gender lines, anyone who like cross-dresses, basically anyone who's queer and outwardly presenting as such. I found that very interesting when I found this out a few years ago. And so I decided just to create a bunch of stories that speak directly against that. So as you will see when you get into the book, Vagabonds is actually a book that centers queer and trans characters in Lagos, where those kinds of expressions are still very heavily surveilled at the moment. And it is, I would say so, a undertaking, a a sprawling undertaking of a story. There are so many characters so many pieces of this grand puzzle that we find as we move through the story. There are so many intertwining plots, and the plot itself has so much depth, profundity, and specificity to a culture that not everyone who's going to pick up this book is familiar with. So I just want to ask how this story came to you. How did you know this was the story that you wanted to tell on your first novel? So I was working on another novel, actually, and I think that that novel was more quiet (laughs) in general. I think that that was just a more quiet novel. And then one day I was was reading through the Same-Sex Marriage Prohibition Act and I found the word vagabond in there and I just found that like deeply fascinating. And I had these like short stories I'd been writing for years that I knew had very thick thread, but I wasn't sure what it was until I came across that word and it just seemed to tie everything together. And this was in 2019, I think. I think as soon as I found that, I wanted to speak to it. And so it became clear to me that this book was a more more urgent book than the one I was working on at the time. That's how Black of Wands came about. And when I say sprawling, I really mean sprawling. There are so many characters both within our world and the worlds alongside ours. How did you come to that? place? Did the characters come to you first or did you set up sort of the world you wanted them to inhabit? Um, I worked on it story by story, which is kind of like the way I build a book. And so I work scene by scene, story by story, and it kind of just builds on top of each other in the end. So these stories, like one talks to the other, talks to another. The first story that I worked on was a story called Night Wind. And I'm not going to describe that too much so that it doesn't like become a spoiler. That was the first one I worked on was in 2018. And then after that, I think that more and more stories kept on coming around with similar themes. That's what made the book 
Do you have a favorite story or a favorite character that you really felt like you connected the most to? I know for me, there is Love at Home. The Daisy and Divine story is <laughs> truly one of my favorites. But I also love Adura, the only way is through and her other, you know, sort of appearances. But do you have someone that really stuck to you? I don't know that I had a favorite character, but I think the ones you just named were the most delightful to write. <laughs> so if I had to name like a top five, those four will be in there for sure. I know when I was reading, again, I want everyone to read this, but when I was reading the end of Daisy and Divine story, There is Love at Home, I think I've read that last page uh, about 50 times because it's just <laughs> uh, one of the most stunning things. And that's what I'm going to tell readers out there. Also, you said that you've been working on this for a long time. You know, these characters have come to you in, in these stories. Do you often find that you prefer to work in short story? I think the structure of this is so interesting that it is this intertwined short story collection, but it is truly a novel. I, I don't think you could separate pieces out into their individuals and not miss something from reading the whole thing. Do you find yeah. working in short story important? Yes, I really love that question. And I think that short stories are definitely my favorite way to work because they go very well with my brain. It feels like it matches. The structure of a short story and the way that my brain works, the way that my thinking works, they're very complementary. So I find that when I'm working in short stories, I feel the most comfortable. When I was trying to write like a more you know, conventional novel, a novel that goes from chapter one to chapter two to chapter three, I struggled very much because that my brain doesn't work in chronological order. It actually works in themes. So I think that short stories give me more space than a conventional novel structure would in general. I think you can definitely see that when you read that these theme is so important. It moves through these sort of sweeping, some more painful, some more hopeful to sort of arrive at different conclusions. But I know something for me is that we only get so much of certain characters. You know, you always hope there's like, oh, I hope they come back. And sometimes they do and, <laughs> and sometimes they don't. And you have yeah. to sort of reconcile with the fact in a novel like this that it's not just about the characters on the page it's this really the city of Lagos itself that is such an important character an important piece I wanted to ask how do you feel about short stories um when you're reading just in general I think that something like this a collection that moves from one to another and has this thread like you said that goes back and forth it really provides such a different reading experience my brain sort of found each part a little bit differently because, like you said, going from just a chronological chapter one to, you know, that's such a common structure that we anticipate in a novel, but this really gives us something mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, it's a very Western format, a like chronological mm -hmm. novel, but there's so much in this that moves beyond that. And I think that mm -hmm. lends very well to the story you're telling. I'm so glad to hear that. And one of my favorite things, because this novel is outside of a lot of my own experience, is the way you've personified the city of Lagos, the way that you teach us about this city from a way that feels real and not glamorized, not glorified, but wholly different to something that many readers will have experienced. Do you want to talk yeah. a little bit about how you came to that piece of the story? Yes. Okay. So in writing the book, a lot of the stories were set in Lagos. And that was my intention with in writing. But I found that the book wasn't going to feel complete until 
I created a structure around how the city interacts with people. So it's actually like a book that takes the city and then also takes its relationship with people and then blows that up. And so in creating that, I, I asked myself what Lagos feels like to me. And to me, Lagos doesn't just feel like a place. It feels like a spirit and it feels like a god. And so in creating that and in just looking at all the minions that it uses to like do its bidding, I started to go deeper into like what those power dynamics are like and what it means to grow up or live in or come into a city that has its own motives for each person inside it. So yeah, in creating that, like I think that was the core question for me. What is Lagos? And I realized that Lagos is actually a spirit and a god before it's a city. And so in writing this, I was trying to stay as true as possible to that answer. I think that for many American readers or non-Nigerian readers, this will give something completely different than a Nigerian reader. Do you feel like there's two different versions of this book for those who already know and those who are just coming to know for the first time? So I think that the reception of the book has been very interesting to me because I've met about 100 different versions of Vagabonds <laughs> since it was released. <laughs> and that includes like Nigerian readers and non-Nigerian readers. So sometimes I hear someone describe the book and they describe it as a spirit novel. And I hear someone else describe the book and they describe it as a novel about Lagos. And then I hear someone else describe it as a queer book. So it's been very interesting to see which threads readers are pulling out of it. But I feel like all of them are true, depending on where you're looking at it from and depending on what your interests and your investments in stories are. I think that each reader takes away a different book from the book. I agree. I think there's a lot of readers that will find many different things. I'm looking forward to reading it again to, I'm sure, find different things. Back a little bit to sort of the structure of this. You have a very interesting framing device that you use to sort of break up these stories with almost a narrator to this novel. Yeah. How important for you was setting up things in that way? Did you feel like it was necessary to have sort of something breaking up those stories to sort of direct your reader in a specific way? Yeah, I feel like in a world that feels as vast as this, Having a tour guide of some sort was very instrumental because if I hadn't used that device, I think this would be a different book. I think it would just be a book of stories on stories on stories on stories. But what readers tend to find as they go through Vagabonds is that really they are going through different sections of the city and they're being shown before they get into the stories what they're about to see. So yeah, I think that's why I decided to use that. But also the narrator is a very compelling voice. And so when he first came to me, it became very clear that he was going to steer the book. And it was very interesting to create the relationship or to relay the relationship between Echo the city and this minion, specifically this right-hand angel that is closest to it. I think that it adds so much to this idea of magical realism that happens in this book. I was talking with it with some friends of mine and trying to describe that it's not fantasy. It doesn't go into those genres themselves, but it has so much mysticism and magical realism that you really feel a genre outside of just literary fiction as well. 
these cultural pieces, this magical realism, these gods, these city spirits, how did it feel to get to include those things into this novel and to sort of bring that to your reader as well? Um, it felt very freeing. I love that with this book, I didn't have to worry about how realistic things felt, but instead I could think about how true they are. Growing up in Nigeria, these demarcations that were never made between what is human, what is spirit, for instance, or what happens when you're standing right side up and what happens when you're looking between the legs. <laughs> those are two different things. Those things were part of my upbringing. All of those things are part of my life. And so in a way, I think of what is human and what is spirit as being two different states, but they're not contradictory. So being able to find a way to write the book that encompassed all the things that I know to be true, for instance, every time there's a human being or every time there's a human gathering, there's probably like a related spirit somewhere close. Yeah, that's how I felt. I think it felt freeing, most of all. How did you find the reading experience when you encountered some of these elements? Did it feel jarring or was it like? I think it felt immersive. I think it allowed me to put myself into this novel even more fully because there were things I didn't understand at first mm -hmm. or, you know, I needed to do more thinking. There were definitely times in between stories where I had to close the book and do a little processing before I could go back in. But only in good ways, because sometimes I want to just read things fast, plow through. But this book I had to sit with and think with. And mm -hmm. those pieces enhance that. For me, understanding a culture that's not my own in a way that was very all-encompassing while I was reading this book. And I think that many, many of our readers, our listeners, are always looking for that next thing. They're looking for that new voice. And I think that they're going to find something like that here very easily. <laughs> That's really exciting to me. Thank you so much for saying that. Of course. One of my favorite things about this book that I think readers will enjoy is the tone is so interesting. It pendulum swings back and forth between darkness and beauty and areas of light and love and desperation and hope. And you never know what the next story is going to bring. How did you find those balances in writing these sometimes difficult but also ultimately beautiful stories? I don't know that I thought about it that way. I know that in writing the stories, it didn't feel true to write a brutal novel or just a gentle novel. The closer I got to the heart of the book, the more I realized that it was a book that would contain many things, many tones, many feelings, many people, many states of being, many emotions. And so... I think each time I wrote a story that belonged in this book, it held a little bit of each. It held some pain. It held some love. It held some hope, some longing. And I think that's what makes this book this book. I agree. You had talked earlier about how you write in short stories and how your brain thinks in short stories. When you were writing them, did you have them in an order already? Did you move them around to sort of rearrange the story? Do you think linearly, like or in an outline, or is it more combining things as you're moving through? How does the editing process on that make it come together? So my editing process is very cumulative. So I write all the stories first, and then as I get deeper into the links between stories, I'm able to see what comes first. 
So for instance, with the story Rain, that's one of the stories I've seen um, readers comment on the, the order of, because when people read Rain, I don't think they expected the only way out is through as a story that talks to it. So I think what happens is I write the stories first and the more I write, the more I discover about the timeline. Some stories I wrote before, but they're very late in the book. And some stories I wrote quite late in the process and they come up very early in the book. The stories tell me what the sequence is. I think it's just so interesting. We don't see so many of these novels, you know, sort of written in this short story format. So many people have asked me, is it a short story collection or a novel? And I have to say, well, both, but a novel. (laughs) I have a question. Mm -hmm. How did you find the book or how did the book find you? So at the time this published, I was a bookseller working in a Barnes & Noble store and I saw the cover and was stunned. (laughs) Truly, sometimes you can judge a book by its cover. (laughs) Thank you so much. I think I probably have a picture on my phone of when it published. I, I, I took a picture of it sitting on the shelf and said, you have to come back to this. (laughs) And I did. Mm-hmm. So when this pub, I think it was March 2022, you had done the hard part. You put the book out in the world. You've done all the work, the writing, the pouring your soul out. How have you found the reception? Did it go the way you felt? Did you expect everything to happen the way it did? How does it feel now that it's been out for a year? <laughs> <laughs> easy questions. Easy questions. This is so easy. Wow. What a breeze. Um. <laughs> <laughs> How have I felt about the reception? I have actually felt stunned because I think I expected the book to be well received because I believe very much in this book. So I'm not going to say that I felt completely shaky. I felt quite eager because I knew that the book was going to go into the world and do its work. So that part I kind of expected. What I didn't expect, I think, was the reading community that has formed around it. I have literally seen people latch onto this book. People like make makeshift book clubs with their friends. People get vagabonds tattoos in Bantu. Like people create threads and communities, you know, on social media. People creating like bookmarks. <laughs> so I didn't expect it to form a community of people that is actually genuine. I expected there to be individual readers who loved the book, but I didn't really expect them to then become friends with each other because they read this. So that's been very surprising. And I think that has blown my mind and blown my expectations out of the water. Yeah. Generally, what I feel is a lot of glee, a lot of thankfulness and a lot of hope for, you know, the rest of this walk. What an exciting feeling. (laughs) How do you want people to feel when they've read the book? What should they come away with? I know I felt a lot of things, Mm -hmm. but... I always wonder what authors want their readers to feel when they close that cover for the last time. Huh. So this question for me has a very specific answer. And the answer is, I want readers to feel whatever feels true for them. So some readers come away from the book and feel angry. Some readers come away from the book and feel like they want to get more free. Some readers come away from the book and want to call that ex-girlfriend who they never actually made it work with. (laughs) All of that makes me happy because it's true. So I think for me with this book, whatever the reader wants or whatever the reader feels at the end of the book is what I want. I think that 
is very profound. I think that that answers a lot of my questions for authors. <laughs> now that the book is going to be out in paperback and we've got a whole new set of readers who are going to snag this for the first time, who is the reader that you hope picks up this book? Who do you feel like needs to pick up this book? Oh, I love this question. So the first answer is whoever has been thinking, it's not fair that I don't get to live like myself. I hope they pick up this book. Another person who I hope picks up this book is someone young and queer who thinks it's not okay to be that. Another reader who I'd like to find this book is a Nigerian who has thought that Nigeria only belongs to them because they're straight. I think a fourth reader I'd like to find is anyone who's looking to be free. Yeah, I think a fifth reader would be someone who's lost someone close to them, either a relative or a lover or a friend, to death. I would like for them to pick up this book because this book thinks of spirits as active. This book thinks that death is the end. I would like for that reader to pick this up as well. Those are the five people I can think of right now. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I can see how all of that ties together and more. I think so many readers are going to find things in this book. And like you said, you want to have someone find something that's true. And there is so much truth here. And for many people, they'll find what they're looking for here. But you mentioned so many authors in this book and other books that the characters have read and loved. So I'm dying to know who are your literary influences? Who has helped get you to the point where you were able to create this world? Huh. Okay. So I, I love this question as well. I love all your questions. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. So the biggest influence on this book is actually the Bible. I used to be a Christian and I read the Bible quite thoroughly and I find it very interesting as a literary text. The Bible inspired more than a few things in this book. So I think that's my first literary influence that I would reference. Also, another writer or a writer who really changed my mind on the story is is Arundhati Roy with The God of Small Things. That book blew my mind open. <laughs> like, that book <laughs> changed my life. So <laughs> that's definitely up there. And Oye and me with her novel Icarus Girl, which is her first novel. I really enjoyed that book. And I enjoy how expansive its view of the mind is. I think that that book gives color to the mind. It gives shade to the mind, gives texture to the mind as a place. And I think that we don't get to see enough of that in fiction. So Helen Williams, Icarus Girl is definitely up there as well. Marlon James, A Brief History of Seven Killings is one of my favorite books ever because, wow, just wow. Yes. So that's definitely up there. And then Brian Washington's writing really excites me. I like the way silence exists in the work that he makes. I like that there's so much space in Brian Washington's work for things to not be said. And I really, really respect that. So those are the few that come to my mind now. Amazing. I can definitely see some of that influence in there. And also, I know from looking at some other interviews you've done and some other things that music is very important to you. Yes. And I know that there's a Vagabonds playlist out there. Did you like to talk about any sort of music recommendations for people along with this? Do you listen to music when you write? Is that a part of your process as well? Yes. Um, so I'm always listening to music. And when I'm writing, the kind of music I listen to changes. Usually when I'm writing, I listen to jazz because there's room in jazz, I think, for you to think and for you to expand your thinking without being influenced by lyrics. 
I definitely recommend jazz for anyone who's just trying to incorporate music into their practice. Right now, I am loving a lot of Afrobeats music. So I'm really loving music by Ira Starr. I'm really loving music by Fireboy. I'm really loving music by Wizkid. I really enjoy music by Mireba. She's one of my favorite musicians working at the moment. I love music by Ferenza Spalding. I love music by Buika. So those, those are a few of the artists I'm listening to right now. And Kamasi Washington. I want to talk about Kamasi Washington all the time. So yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those, those are a few of the artists I'm listening to. Yeah. Perfect. So now our listeners can also build their own playlist for when they are yes. reading along. And of course, yeah. the question that everyone asks when someone has a novel coming out is, what are you working on next? <laughs> what should we expect to see soon, hopefully? I actually just finished my second novel, so you can be expecting that soon, for sure. That is very exciting. Anything you'd like mm-hmm. to say about it, or do we have to be very tight-lipped about what it is? <laughs> um, I can't really talk about it right now, but of course, I do want to say that if you have enjoyed any of the stories I've published since Vagabonds, you're really going to enjoy that novel. Perfect. Well, that is very exciting. And mm-hmm. I think I could probably sit and talk about this all day, but that's about the time that we have. Elosa, thank you so much for talking with me about this book. I've had a great time. I think thank that you. our listeners should absolutely be heading out to pick up Vagabonds when it's out in paperback now. So thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you so much, Jenna. This has been a delight. I am very grateful for your thoughtful questions, and I look forward to us speaking sometime soon in the future. Hello readers, it's time for another TBR Top Off. We're going to recommend a couple of great books to pick up when you stop in for your copy of Vagabonds. I'm Mark, I'm coming to you from my Barnes & Noble store in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I'm joined by my book buddy Jamie. Hello Jamie. Hi Mark, I'm Jamie, I'm coming to you from my Barnes & Noble store in Leawood, Kansas. Wonderful. So we've got a couple of great books to cover. I'm going to jump right in. Um, I am very excited for Vagabonds. It's probably my most anticipated book so far this year. I can't wait to get my hands on it and just eat it right up. Uh, But thinking about this book made me think about uh, one of our former guests on Poured Over, um, Akweke Ameze. They wrote a fantastic novel uh, called You Made a Fool of Death with Your Beauty. Highly recommend that book. But the one I want to talk about today is their uh, poetry collection that came out a few years prior called Content Warning Everything. Ooh, this collection is so good. The poems in this feel simultaneously ancient and modern. The poet's use of religious imagery uh, just is really lovely the way that it's infused into these poems. And the concept of divinity in the hands of a mortal is kind of the through line for these poems. They also speak very bravely to trauma, survival, family, desire, and love. Amazie's writing is confident and dazzling. I think that they use words like a spell. And I think readers who consume this poetry collection will be absolutely enchanted. So please pick up Content Warning Everything by Akweke Amazie. Jamie, what do you have for us? Okay, I have a little bit of a different take. Uh, I am going to talk today about The Secret Lives of Church Ladies by Disha Filia. And this is a paperback, another paperback that came out 
sort of in the middle of the pandemic. And while it was a national book award finalist and it won numerous other prizes, I feel like a lot of customers might have missed this one when it was released. This is also a collection of short stories and that are focused mostly on race and on sexuality. And like Vagabonds, uh, it examines characters who are not free to be themselves in public, but who have these really rich lives behind closed doors. All the stories feature Black women who are held back from revealing their true thoughts and their true desires because the society around them uh, uses God to enforce sort of good church lady behavior on them. Sometimes the stories are about mothers raising their daughters to be ashamed of their bodies or their sexual desires. Several of the stories focus on lesbian relationships, which are frowned upon in the church, and others on extramarital affairs or young love or other problematic uh, behavior in this society. Like vagabonds, uh, these ladies are kind of forced to live in the margins, right? And as a result, they're really vulnerable when they are sharing their true feelings. Um, and so there's this tremendous guilt and frustration and fear that kind of runs through some of the stories. But then they're also memorable and sweet and tender. There's so many good moments that make you smile. I think that the author does a great job of sort of railing against these institutions um, that keep you down but it doesn't make you feel exhausted the way that she writes about them. Um, it, because living under, under people's expectations is exhausting, right? Uh, but these stories, like I said, they're tender, they're thoughtful, they're funny, they're surprising. Um, and you can definitely read them all in one sitting. I had to share the best line uh, from the story Peach Cobbler, which is, my mother made a peach cobbler so good, it made God himself cheat on his wife. So <laughs> <laughs> that one made me laugh. Uh. Fantastic choice. As always, oh, that book is so, so good. I think it deserves all the accolades it's received. And you're right, it's one that sort of coasted under the radar for a while, I think, due to the pandemic. So please come in and pick up that and our this poetry collection. Uh, that is all we have for today, though. Thanks so much for tuning in to Port Over. Please make sure to give us a rating and subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can also follow our socials at Barnes & Noble. Pretty simple. I'm Mark. You can follow my home store at BN Westchester. And I'm Jamie. You can follow my home store at BN Leewood KS. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Happy reading. Thank you for listening. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. To help other readers find us, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts.